0: Section Eight, Chapters Twenty Seven through Thirty of *The Monk and the Hangman's Daughter* by Ambrose Bierce. This recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. Life up here is less disagreeable than I thought. What seemed to me a dreary solitude seems now less dismal and desolate. This mountain wilderness, which at first filled me with awe, gradually reveals its benign character. It is marvelously beautiful in its grandeur, with a beauty which purifies and elevates the soul. One can read in it, as in a book, the praises of its creator. Daily while digging gentiana roots I did not fail to listen to the voice of the wilderness and to compose and chasten my soul more and more. In these mountains are no feathered songsters. The birds here utter only shrill cries. The flowers, too, are without fragrance, but wondrously beautiful, shining with the fire and gold of stars. I have seen slopes and heights here which doubtless were never trodden by any human foot. They seem to me sacred, the touch of the Creator still visible upon them as when they came from His hand. Game is in great abundance chamois are sometimes seen in such droves that the very hillsides seem to move there are steinbachs veritable monsters but as yet thank heaven i have seen no bears marmots play about me like kittens and eagles the grandest creatures in this high world nest in the cliffs to be as near the sky as they can get when fatigued i stretch myself on the alpine grass which is as fragrant as the most precious spices i close my eyes and hear the wind whisper through the tall stems and in my heart is peace blessed be the lord end of chapter twenty seven chapter twenty eight every morning the dairy women come to my cabin their merry shouts ringing in the air and echoed from the hills they bring fresh milk butter and cheese chat a little while and go away each day they relate something new that has occurred in the mountains or been reported from the villages below they are joyous and happy and look forward with delight to sunday when there will be divine service in the morning and a dance in the evening alas these happy people are not free of the sin of bearing false witness against their neighbor they have spoken to me of benedicta called her a disgraceful wench a hangman's daughter, and—my heart rebels against its utterance—the mistress of Rokus. The pillory, they said, was made for such as she." Hearing these maidens talk so bitterly and falsely of one whom they so little knew, it was with difficulty that I mastered my indignation. But in pity of their ignorance I reprimanded them gently and kindly. It was wrong, I said, to condemn a fellow being unheard. It was unchristian to speak ill of any one. They do not understand. It surprises them that I defend a person like Benedicta, one who, as they truly say, has been publicly disgraced and has not a friend in the world. End of chapter 28 Chapter 29 This morning I visited the Black Lake. It is indeed an awful and accursed place, fit for the habitation of the damned and there lives the poor, forsaken child. Approaching the cabin I could see a fire burning on the hearth, and over it was suspended a kettle. Benedicta was seated on a low stool looking into the flames. Her face was illuminated with a crimson glow, and I could observe heavy tear-drops on her cheeks. Not wishing to see her secret sorrow, I hastened to make known my presence and addressed her as gently as I could. She was startled but when she saw who it was, smiled and blushed. She rose and came to greet me, and I began speaking to her almost at random, in order that she might recover her composure. I spoke as a brother might speak to his sister, yet earnestly, for my heart was full of compassion. "'Oh, Benedicta,' I said, "'I know your heart, and it has more love for that wild youth Rocus than any of our dear and blessed Saviour. I know how willingly you bore infamy and disgrace, sustained by the thought that he knew you innocent. Far be it from me to condemn you for what is holier or purer than a maiden's love. I would only warn and save you from the consequence of having given it to one so unworthy. She listened with her head bowed and said nothing, but I could hear her sighs. I saw, too, that she trembled. I continued, Benedicta. The passion which fills your heart may prove your destruction in this life and hereafter. Young Rokas is not one who will make you his wife in the sight of God and man. Why did he not stand forth and defend you when you were falsely accused?' "'He was not there,' she said, lifting her eyes to mine. "'He and his father were at Salzburg. He knew nothing till they told him.' May God forgive me if, at this, I felt no joy in another's acquittal of the heavy sin with which I had charged him. I stood a moment, irresolute, with my head bowed, silent. But, Benedicta, I resumed, will he take for a wife one whose good name has been blackened in the sight of his family and his neighbours? No, he does not seek you with an honourable purpose. Oh, Benedicta, confide in me, is it not as I say?' But she remained silent, nor could I draw from her a single word. She would only sigh and tremble. She seemed unable to speak. I saw that she was too weak to resist the temptation to love young Rokus. Nay, I saw that her whole heart was bound up in him, and my soul melted with pity and sorrow—pity for her and sorrow for myself, for I felt that my power was unequal to the command that had been laid upon me my agony was so keen that i could hardly refrain from crying out i went from her cabin but did not return to my own i wandered about the haunted shore of the black lake for hours without aim or purpose reflecting bitterly upon my failure and beseeching god for greater grace and strength it was revealed to me that i was an unworthy disciple of the lord and a faithless son of the church I became more keenly conscious than I ever had been before of the earthly nature of my love for Benedicta and of its sinfulness. I felt that I had not given my whole heart to God, but was clinging to a temporal and human hope. It was plain to me that unless my love for the sweet child should be changed to a purely spiritual affection, purified from all the dross of passion, I could never receive holy orders but should remain always a monk and always a sinner. These reflections caused me great torment, and in my despair I cast myself down upon the earth, calling aloud to my Saviour. In this, my greatest trial, I clung to the cross. "'Save me, O Lord!' I cried. "'I am engulfed in a great passion. Save me—oh, save me, or I perish for ever!' all that night i struggled and prayed and fought against the evil spirits in my soul with their suggestions of recreancy to the dear church whose child i am the church they whispered has servants enough you are not as yet irrevocably bound to celibacy you can procure dispensation from your monastic vows and remain here in the mountains a layman you can learn the craft of the hunter or the herdsman and be ever near Benedicta to guard and guide her, perhaps in time to win her love from Rokas and take her for your wife. To these temptations I opposed my feeble strength and such aid as the blessed saint gave me in my great trial. The contest was long and agonizing, and more than once, there in the darkness and the wilderness, which rang with my cries, I was near surrender, But at the dawning of the day I became more tranquil, and peace once more filled my heart, even as the golden light filled the great gorges of the mountain where, but a few moments before, were the darkness and the mist. I thought then of the suffering and death of our Saviour, who died for the redemption of the world, and most fervently I prayed that Heaven would grant me the great boon to die likewise, in a humbler way even though it were for but one suffering being benedicta may the lord hear my prayer end of chapter twenty nine chapter thirty the night before the sunday on which i was to hold divine service great fires were kindled on the cliffs a signal for the young men in the valley to come up to the mountain dairies they came in great numbers shouting and screaming and were greeted with songs and shrill cries by the dairy maidens, who swung flaming torches that lit up the faces of the great rocks and sent gigantic shadows across them. It was a beautiful sight. These are indeed a happy people. The monastery boy came in with the rest. He will remain over Sunday, and, returning, will take back the roots that I have dug. He gave me much news from the monastery. The Reverend Superior is living at St. Bartholomew, fishing and hunting. Another thing, one which gives me great alarm, is that the saltmaster's son, young Rokus, is in the mountains not far from the Black Lake. It seems he has a hunting lodge on the upper cliff, and a path leads from it directly to the lake. The boy told me this, but did not observe how I trembled when hearing it. Would that an angel with a flaming sword might guard the path to the lake and to Benedicta! The shouting and singing continued during the whole night, and between this and the agitation in my soul I did not close my eyes. Early the next morning the boys and girls arrived in crowds from all directions. The maidens wore silken handkerchiefs twisted prettily about their heads, and had decorated themselves and their escorts with flowers not being an ordained priest it was not permitted me either to read mass or to preach a sermon but i prayed with them and spoke to them whatever my aching heart found to say i spoke to them of our sinfulness and god's great mercy of our harshness to one another and the saviour's love for us all of his infinite compassion as my words echoed across the abyss below and the heights above I felt as if I were lifted out of this world of suffering and sin, and borne away on angels' wings to the radiant spheres beyond the sky. It was a solemn service, and my little congregation was awed into devotion, and seemed to feel as if it stood in the Holy of Holies. The service being concluded, I blessed the people, and they quietly went away they had not been long gone before i heard the lads send forth ringing shouts but this did not displease me why should they not rejoice is not cheerfulness the purest praise a human heart can give in the afternoon i went down to benedicta's cabin and found her at the door making a wreath of edelweiss for the image of the blessed virgin intertwining the snowy flowers with a purple blossom that looked like blood seating myself beside her i looked on at her beautiful work in silence but in my soul was a wild tumult of emotion and a voice that cried benedicta my love my soul i love you more than life i love you above all things on earth and in heaven end of chapter thirty